Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, who has invited me to form a government. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. Iraq collapsing, Syria collapsing, Yemen collapsing, Libya collapsing, and everything else in turmoil. Nothing to do with us. Hey everyone, welcome to Where We Are with Terrence Eagle podcast that breaks down what happened in the world in the last seven days and how we got here. On today's episode... Everything you will all give up for the next few weeks, it will literally save lives. Thousands of lives. So I was really quite worried. Uh, I think a lot of us were, and now we're sort of in awe of the response and the leadership. All right, so I have with me Professor Petusis Harris, a vaccinologist at the University of Auckland. Uh, Professor, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Nice to be here. So um, I know that New Zealand has taken an unusual approach to the virus. So could you tell us a little bit about what is New Zealand's approach to the pandemic and to the virus? Well, basically, New Zealand's approach was to go really early and really hard. So, so New Zealand really locked itself down before it got to 100 cases. So at this point, how many cases are in New Zealand? Uh, we've got about 1,400. We're just down to a trickle where we're getting sort of between three and five a day. Wow. So it's really, um, really just about over for new cases. So when you say that they took a really extreme response early on, could you tell us in more detail, like what were what were the measures that were taken and how were they received? So the measures that we were presented with were that we were going to approach this with four levels. Mm. So level one uh, was sort of represented very little intervention. Level four meant we were all going to go to our houses, to where we lived, or wherever we were going to spend the next four weeks. And we could not leave unless it was to go to the supermarket to get food, to the pharmacy to get medicines, or if you could not do a doctor's consultation remotely. So those were really the only reasons you could leave home and or you could go for a walk sort of around your block or to your local park. Okay. 
so in other words, so at some point, the government said, essentially, we're entering level four, guys. So wherever you sleep tonight, that's where you're sleeping the next four weeks. Is that how it worked? It did. And, and we were given two days to prepare. Okay. Um, and to get ourselves ready and sort of pick up everything you need from, from work, if you can work from home. And, and that was it. The people that we live with are called our bubbles. Mm. So we've got a lot of these kind of little metaphors and things like that. It helps people to understand mm. um, how to behave. And we're all being asked to behave as if we are infected ourselves. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I think that's been part of the success is that yeah. the way that it's all been communicated. The situation here is moving at pace, and so must we. We have always said we would act early, decisively, and go hard, and we will. Let me set out what this will mean for everyone in practical terms. Supermarkets, doctors, pharmacies, service stations, access to essential banking services will be available throughout New Zealand at every alert level. Non-essential businesses in New Zealand must now close. All bars, restaurants, cafes, cinemas, pools, museums, libraries, playgrounds, any other place where the public congregate must close their face-to-face -face function. Over the next 48 hours, those who provide, for instance, takeaway services must move to close their operations also. In short, we are all now preparing as a nation to go into self-isolation. Um, in a couple of days, we'll be able to expand our bubbles to include just a, you know, um, maybe that relative that you've, you know, you've been really missing, and yes, particularly old people that, you know, we can pull back into our, our circle and, and, you know, if you've been missing your girlfriend or your boyfriend or something, you can, you know, start seeing them again. <laughs> so beforehand, you weren't able to see them. You were, is they no. live with you? No, uh, if they didn't and, and they weren't there and they weren't at your house on that night of lockdown, wow. <laughs> then, you know, you had to use social media. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the more you talk about this, the more I wonder, were there any police monitoring? I mean, these measures are so extreme, well communicated, so people know exactly what to do, what to expect, but so extreme. And I wonder, how is it being enforced? What is causing people to actually follow these rules? I think it's a combination of things. Yes, the, the police were definitely there. And really? they went with a very sort of light touch to start with, you know, just reminding people, if that's what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and reminding them that you can't do this. You know, you're 10 kilometers for your, from your home. How would they know how far you were from your home? They could kind of look, some, for some regions, they sort of put in some roadblocks and would ask people. Because, you know, you can sort of tell by the amount of traffic, for example, mm. where people thought, I might just go to my badge um, mm -hmm. have a, or to the beach or something. And <laughs> also you can see by people congregating suddenly, oh. you know, you've got too many people. And so I guess it, it sort of seemed quite obvious. But they also people dobbed people who were breaking this and very quickly. And there were sort of like they these hotlines. And they, yeah, they dobbed what them. What does that mean? I mean oh, they, they, they reported them. So, yeah, oh. so if you saw your next door neighbor who you thought, well, what? They've got visitors and these five young people have just come down the drive with drinks. You know? Wow. So there's a lot of that then, a lot of reporting on your neighbor. 
and I think that's been part of what's what's really interesting is that people brought into this almost everyone in the country is totally on board with it so when they Mm. see people uh, letting the team down Mm. they report them so there have been arrests but the the technology that sort of shows you the general movements of the population shows clearly that on by and large most people have abided by this and there's been very little movement around the Mm. country yeah but I wonder then I mean, it seems like there's mostly this sense of community and we're, we're all in this together. But then with the constant reporting on one another, does that create this atmosphere of paranoia around your neighbor that they're going to be spying on you? Um, if you look at the trend in terms of support for the whole effort, it's gone up and up and up and up and up. So it's wow. pretty strong to start with. But now 87% of the population say that they're totally on board with this. Wow. So I think it's I think it's just been really well accepted by and large. Of course, there's going to be the rebels out there. <laughs> but yeah. um, by and large, that's been the buy-in. And I think that's because people were given a reason Medical modelling considered by Cabinet today suggests that without the measures I have just announced, up to tens of thousands of New Zealanders could die from COVID-19. Everything you will all give up for the next few weeks, all of the lost contact with others, all of the isolation and difficult time entertaining children, it will literally save lives. Thousands of lives. And also I think they feel that the government have got their backs. You know, there were announcements about the economic support packages. So there was access to money as well for people who were being hit very early on, very hard. I wonder as well, I mean, I think the communication from the government is a huge part of this, uh, just like the clarity of the New Zealand government. But then with other countries, even though there wasn't that same level of clarity, there were still attempts at messaging by the leadership saying, if you don't follow these rules, here are the consequences. And most leaders didn't really hesitate to say really dire, stark things as the threats of if you didn't obey these new rules. And yet, in I'm thinking you know, of the US and the UK, I don't know if there is nearly that same level of, of buy-in. So I wonder if it's partly something about the New Zealand culture that allowed people to kind of buy into this pretty early on and just accept that this is going to be something we need to do as a community. Uh, we're not particularly that way inclined. Um, we, we do have a, a bit of a history of being uh, liking our individual liberties very much. Mm. Um, so this is... I'm not quite, not quite sure how to uh, mm-hmm. how to express it, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think we're you know particularly that way inclined. I think it's been very much the I think the consistency of the messaging, also that we have a national level. It, it's all coming from one place, from a national mm. level, and I think an important consideration is where we were when this began, and that was not in a very good place. We had just come out of a massive measles epidemic that was completely unnecessary and very, very poorly handled. Anyone travelling to Auckland is being told they must be immunised against measles as the country deals with its worst epidemic of the highly contagious... The government now scrambling to provide more support and immunisation services to try to stop the... Health authorities in New Zealand deny they have moved too slowly as the country deals with its worst measles outbreak in 22 years. At the beginning, when COVID first emerged, New Zealand had very little ability to contact trace. 
Mm. So that, I mean, of course, that's one of the most important things you need to do with the with the COVID. And we, you know, it's very early in our measles epidemic last year. It took off very, um, it got out of hand very quickly. Contact tracing, sort of, they gave up very early on because they just didn't have the manpower. Their resources were very depleted. So we weren't we weren't in a very flash place when this started. So that that's where we've come from. It was um it was it was a great embarrassment really. Yeah. So it's just uh, amazing how that has been turned around so so completely. So how was it turned around so completely? I really I really don't know. I, I, <laughs> it perhaps perhaps it was the lessons. You know, there's certainly lessons to be learned from what happened last year. And of course, I think we were really shaken by the fact that we exported measles to Samoa, and that was a an absolute tragedy. And that you know they had eighty eighty three deaths, uh, mostly in young uh, under fives. It was it was an absolute tragedy, and we we do hold some responsibility for that. And I think perhaps there was a lot, a bit of a shake up, um, and, and realization that that public health needed much better resourcing, mm. and then and then just a, a, maybe a month or two later. This came along. COVID turned up. I have to say, I was a bit sceptical at the beginning, and I'm being definitely shown to be quite wrong about that. <laughs> that New Zealand wouldn't handle it as well as it did. Yeah, I was. Mm. I was very sceptical. We'd managed this. I was really quite worried. Uh, I think a lot of us were, and now we're sort of in awe of the of the response and the leadership that has been taken over it. Yeah. So I know that New Zealand has this kind of unusual goal with the virus of not just containment, but, you know, the Prime Minister has said they're looking for total elimination. So could you maybe explain what what does that mean exactly in this case? No, no, no COVID. Um, I guess eliminating the virus, but we know that it will pop back, it will come back in again. But we, we're in this very fortunate position where there's nothing around New Zealand except an awful lot of ocean. Mm. And the borders are basically closed and anybody who comes in will need to have a, a enjoy a two week period in a hotel of the government's choosing in quarantine. So mm-hmm. because we really have almost now completely stopped the transmission, we'll be COVID free quite soon by the looks of it. What hmm. we do after that is <laughs> how we how we then um, rejoin the rest of the world will be the question. So that's interesting. So because I mean, of course, right now you guys. I think you're still in level four, right? You haven't quite entered level three. That's is that coming next week? Yeah, we've got three more sleeps. <laughs> okay, level three. Okay, so you still you're still in that intensive isolation. So, I kind of makes sense that under those circumstances, the transmission would have dropped to zero. But wouldn't you expect that once people are allowed to intermingle once again and they're allowed to go out of their houses, that you'll just start the transmission all over again? Well, I think that's where you. First of all, we've got very few active cases now and they they are of course isolated right now they're not going to be let out and then you've got to have enough testing in place so our testing again at the beginning our ability to to do a lot of testing was quite limited too as many you know many countries face that so that's increased dramatically so our testing has, has gone up and then you've got to be able to trace the the contacts and deal with that. So once we come off this, we're going to be in a position to be able to do all of that. So if something popped up, you can any little fires crop up, you can you can stamp them out real quick as 
mm-hmm. is the plan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, so obviously all of this sounds very positive and reflects very well on the government, but it also makes me wonder, you know, the the virus was contained so well to the point where there were so few serious cases. So then you kind of balance that against the fact that the economy in New Zealand, like, you know, the economies across the world is completely suffering and especially the hospitality infrastructure is just a mess and that's a huge part of the New Zealand economy so is there that sense at all that was this worth it I mean the virus really hasn't impacted New Zealand that much and yet in order to contain it the economy has basically been devastated Oh, absolutely. And I, I think the, the discussion was held with the with the right people around the table in government. You know, how, how are these different strategies going to impact our economy? And I understand that actually, even though this hurts a lot at the beginning, in the long term, it was more it was um it was going to be better for the economy. Uh, and what do you I mean by that? We, um, you know, not not moving in and out of physical isolation levels. Like, you know, a lot mm. of countries are going up and down and the hope is that by going out for a very short time, we won't have to go back there again. You know, some businesses are starting back in a couple of days, another um, others in a couple of weeks. We were, I guess, fortunate that the country wasn't in a place of huge debt when this happened. So, of course, it, it, it's going to hurt, like, anywhere else but I understand that doing it this way will hurt less yeah I guess there wasn't really a a better option I'm thinking I mean especially with tourism you're not going to be able to let people into your country with this pandemic flying around the rest of the world anyway so I guess as you said you either slowly introduce lockdown half-heartedly and then it just gets extended for longer as a result or you take this intensive immediate measure like New Zealand did and hopefully you can you can contain it for a shorter period of time yeah, I think that's been the thinking, and certainly there's also been a lot of attention on local local business, and, okay. and certainly a really strong desire by the country to support our local businesses. You know, I've been seeing these new initiatives that are set up to support the local product, etc. What are some of those initiatives? Um, that's a really a really neat one today, and it was um, wrapping paper with the language, the Tereo, the the local, the Maori language, um, mm. which is the second language of another language of New Zealand. And a thirteen-year-old has designed all of these wrapping papers, and they're actually fantastic. And they mm-hmm. the product is moving around Facebook, getting a lot of attention. So I mean, that's just a li- I mean a really little example. There's also the suppliers for the restaurants, for example, for you know who supply all the food has very quickly gone online, and now you can have that restaurant quality stuff delivered to your door. Mm-hmm. So um, really changing the way that they do business. So I've seen an explosion on um, an access to products that I wouldn't normally have access to. Mm. Uh, so as a consumer, I think probably got more to choose from than we had before. So it's been a very quick change to the way people do their business. Wow. And now we're going to get the local cafes, of course, who've been terribly hit. Uh, they're now offering from, you know, in a couple of days while we're still sort of semi-locked down to start delivering their delicious food to our door. 
including their wine lists. Oh, cool. <laughs> Food's been the most notable, I guess, but yeah. also commodities like uh, local handcrafts and things that you may normally see in a store or in a craft shop and therefore not be aware of unless you happen to you know, go in there are now getting huge exposure. Things like potteries and um, art, things like that. I think mm-hmm. they're probably getting a lot more exposure now. Cool. So it seems like the economy of New Zealand is kind of changing and mutating itself as a result of this virus. Yeah, I think people, but but human beings, you know, by nature can be quite innovative. And just in four weeks, you're seeing this start to flourish. So I think we're going to see it's going to be different. Of course, it's awful because we're seeing some businesses we've known and loved for many years, decades are going under. Yeah. But then there's these other things that are cropping up. Yeah. I mean, it still makes me wonder about the at least formerly main part of the New Zealand economy, tourism and hospitality. And I mean, it's wonderful that there's all these innovative ways to try to restart businesses and cafe businesses and things like that and and get some more money in in innovative ways. But as far as tourism goes, what is the plan for that part, that sector of the economy that can't really find an innovative way to bounce back right now? I don't know. It's it's awful. It's absolutely yeah. awful to see. And I guess, and it, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I, I heard that, that New Zealanders spend $11 billion overseas when we travel every mm. year. Now, we can't go anywhere in, at the moment. Yeah. I think there's a hope that some of that will flow, will, you know, will, flow, will, be, will be spent here. Okay. Uh, we, we, we can't take a holiday to Fiji. Uh, we can't take a cruise down the Rhine, uh, but we can go to the South Island uh, yeah. and see the glaciers. We can do these things. Uh, we'll be able to do those quite soon. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know that it's, it's not going to be enough to, to save these businesses, but yeah. hopefully it will it will help. We're being asked to spend, spend, spend. (laughs) (laughs) No one's asked me to spend before. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of an interesting liberating direction. (laughs) Don't ask me twice. Yeah. Come and spend all your money um, here. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not an economist. Yeah, I know. I've asked you so many questions that are that you've answered so well that are not in your expertise. So maybe They're the just very just... top shelf ones. Those ones. <laughs> yeah. So to maybe circle back to what is your area of expertise? So since New Zealand, as we talked about, the goal is elimination, and the elimination that you talked about, it sounds like you know just keeping the transmissions at essentially zero, doing really extensive contact tracing, that kind of thing. It doesn't seem to incorporate a vaccine. So I'm wondering, what is the status of a vaccine in New Zealand, are you guys in the process of trying to make one yourselves or is that part of the plan? Well, that's a really good question because that's something that's suddenly, you know, that discussion has sort of suddenly popped up. Of course, our realistically, our best exit strategy from this will be a vaccine. Of course, internationally, there's a lot of effort going on and we are, you know, probably not going to be on the top of the list of, of people who need it the most. Right, of recipients. Right. So there's there's a lot of scientists in New Zealand that are quite keen to either develop something from scratch, which, I mean, is feasible, uh, but also to collaborate with other vaccine developers, you know, maybe on some um, advanced candidates 
to further, you know, develop here in New Zealand because we do have capacity and I do understand that we we are actually have the capacity to manufacture. And I think that could be enormously helpful, not just for us, but mm. uh, but also for some of, for example, some of our Pacific neighbours as well and, and, of course, the rest of the world. So that's um, a lot of murmurings have just started in that mm. space. We have a very active, you know, veterinary veterinary science is very big here. Mm. So there's actually a lot of experience. We've actually got experience making vaccines. I didn't realise this mm. <laughs> until recently. For veterinary vaccines, interesting. The, well, the veterinary scientists don't speak so much to the, the human um, <laughs> scientists here. So it, it's actually been quite a revelation to quite a lot of people just what the capacity is. Personally, I'd like to... I'd like to see those ideas pursued because we could just, you know, maybe do something that will help us, but also help and contribute to the rest of the global community as well. Because manufacturing enough vaccine for the 7 billion people is, is a mammoth undertaking. Yeah. So if you guys can contribute, then you'll try to. I think that would be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and that's our show. Tune in next week for another episode of Where We Are with Terrence Eagle. And stay safe, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.